missional church. Well, we're in a series called Dangerous Church, and so that's part of it is being a missional church in our community. Amen? And if you're a first-time guest with us, make sure that you get a life book and fill out a guest card. We also have a, some things we want to send you. We want to send you a free gift in the mail. So if you're a first-time guest with us, make sure that you do that. Um, a church that gives away free stuff, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Because usually the church just, just asks for your money, but usually you don't get anything in return. Um, now, some of you tried to pose who've been here for years as a first-time guest. Um, uh, Pastor Elise actually came in this morning and she had a hat on and a mustache and she she said her name was Susie Smith and wanted a first time guest card and I couldn't give that to her because she was trying to get the, the gift card that we would send to her, right? So, no, she didn't do that. I'm totally joking this morning. She did not do that. Good to have you guys with us here at Thrive Church. Um, we got our back to school bash coming up. It's going to be awesome. I am very excited about that and thank you so much for the school supplies. I am... And I tell you guys, I'm blown away, and I'm really amazed at what you've done. And I'm not being, you know, trying to be like pastor to encourage you. I'm being serious when I say that. You guys have done so much, and thank you. And we look forward to what that video was saying about being the missional church, about being the missional church in the community. One thing that um, we have to realize is this, and being a charismatic or Pentecostal roots here, a lot of times what we've got to realize is the Spirit of God blew into the upper room to blow them out of the upper room. Did you guys get that? He didn't blow in just so they would have a great experience. They could speak in tongues and say, I've now reached the pinnacle of spiritual, you know, greatness. But he blew in there so they would blow out in their community. And I'm going to be as bold to say this. A church that does not involve themselves in local community outreach is probably not a biblical church. Do y'all still love me? Amen. Because when you look at the book of Acts, you see a church that impacted the world around it. Um, we look at government a lot of times, and um, we, it was like, man, if we could just get the right president, get the right Congress, then we could make everything right. Well, do you understand Paul was under Roman rule, and they had a great impact for Christ. Let's vote. Let's do our part. But at the end of the day, man, I believe it's the church's responsibility to impact the world no matter who is in office. With all that being said, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, and that's not even my opener, but Acts chapter 6 verse 1, Acts chapter 6 verse 1, we're going to live in the first seven verses there today, I'm going to read just the first verse to you. But you've probably heard uh, before, if you find the perfect church, don't go to it, because you're going to mess it up, right? And what we're going to look at today is the not-so-perfect church. The not-so-perfect church. Don't you look at me, look at the, uh, your, your copy of God's Word with me in Acts chapter 6 verse 1. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, I, I just, I prayed this morning on the way to church that that would be our testimony that people would say about us when the number of disciples increases. The Grecian Jews, or the Greek-speaking Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Meals on wheels didn't go by their house and they were pretty upset about it. Uh, let me just explain to you this morning, before we get into this, is that every church has problems. Any group of people you get together are going to have problems. And what we see here is that a great problem arose in the church. But follow me and catch this. If you fall asleep the rest of the message, if you don't take any notes, take this and receive this. Life is merely 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. 
It's 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. And these guys responded correctly in the not-so-perfect church. Let's pray. God, this morning, um, I pray that you would just anoint me, Lord. Father, I don't have a message on the seven golden candlesticks and the mysteries of dragons in Revelation, but God, I, I pray that the practical word of God today would help us to live in reconciliation with you and with man. God, you called us, you said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Lord, let us be peacemakers. Let us understand how to operate and solve problems, Lord. I pray that you would touch everybody in here. And I pray that we would leave with something that would greatly impact us, Lord, in our generation. Lord, we love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. My dad often told me that in life, you have a couple of facts that are going to happen. Death is going to happen to all of us. Physical death. Nobody's going to beat that statistic, all right? The other thing is taxes. If you live, you're going to be taxed, right? And you've got to be ready for that. Don't be surprised, especially young people, when you start having to pay taxes. You're like, really? I, I, I didn't know that was coming. I just want to forewarn you. But the other thing is this. Conflict will happen in your life if you live long enough. And you will have to learn how to deal with conflict. I mean, we see a church in the book of Acts 4, 32 and 33. And I was talking about that. Remember a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, that you had this awesome church that was one heart, one mind, one accord. They were rocking it. They were doing such a great job, right? Wonderful job. But, and they had this great unity. I mean, one heart, one mind, one accord. That's a miracle for the church to be in that, that way because that's just people in general. But then we see that a problem arises. See, people will usually tell you, if we can just get back to the book of Acts, brother. The book of Acts. That's where the church was really at. They had it all going on. Houston, we have a problem. Even in the book of Acts, they had problems, right? And, and we find out quickly here that a problem arises in that church. And I want you to realize this, guys. A church that is dangerous to the kingdom of Satan is one that can solve problems. And let me just be real with you. Let me step out here and talk to you for a second. It's that you can solve interpersonal problems. I did not get an amen there because everybody's like, is he talking to me? I'm talking to everybody. <laughs> I mean, seriously, uh, what is a church? It's not a building, it's not the pastor, it's the people that exist there. And I'm going to tell you a story. When I was in Florida and we planted our church, we launched at about 200. We had 100 come back the next week. We were doing really well. And I was applying every leadership principle that I'd ever been taught. I have a doctorate and I just took everything I learned. And I was like, I'm going to apply it. I was working hard. But you know what sidetracked our church was not the fact that you know, the carpet wasn't the right color or the music was too loud or all that. It was that people could not get along. And I spent, I remember one week I had six meetings with people who had problems with each other and they could not work the problems out. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When you sit with people, and this isn't, I'm not talking about married couples and all that because if you're married long enough, you're going to have to work through problems, right? Amen? Okay, good. Let's make sure I'm not the only one here. But these were, were people in the church that, that, that could not reconcile. And I would plead with them that when Jesus died on the cross, he just didn't die, die to reconcile you with God, but he died to reconcile you with man too. That you can operate in peaceful relationships. And that was one of the things that really damaged our church. And if you guys, listen, and if we can get this here, 
If we can learn to solve problems, if we can learn to be grace-driven toward people, I'm going to tell you something, man. We won't have enough chairs for this church. But what does the Bible say in Galatians? Be careful that you don't devour each other because you may end up being consumed by each other. Amen? And, and, and here, this could have happened in the book of Acts. The greatest church in the history of churches. But they solved the problem. I want you, I want you just to realize this. I, I wrote this down this week as I was preparing for this message. People, and you got to realize this about church. The new wears off of church. I don't care how cool the churches you go to. I don't care how much you love it. The new wears off. And I'm still the new car right now to you guys. I still got the new car smell, right? You got the new pastor with the new car smell. But can I be real with you? The new will wear off. You know, and, and that's when, you know, the rubber really hits the road. The new wears off of church. People will offend you. I'm prophesying. I'm getting really spiritual. So like, if you want a, a prophetic word and you come to church to get a prophetic word, you're going to get offended. Amen? Uh, if you ever stay in church long enough, somebody's going to offend you. Here's the next thing too. You will not like everything about a church. And if you go to a church and you say, well, I don't like the music you guys do, so I'm going to go here for that music, then you're probably, maybe this part's going to be weak. You're going to compromise in some area. You won't like everything about a church. And then here's another thing too, and this is probably the greatest point that you will hear today. I believe all my points are equally inspired. Um... I'm joking there. But you will not like everyone in a church equally. Sometimes we feel that we've got to like everybody the same. There's some people that you will connect with better than others. It really is. And there's some people you just won't hit it off with. And the people you don't hit it off with, that's okay. Maybe God didn't design you to have a close-knit relationship with them. But a lot of times we think we need close-knit relationships to everybody. And that's just not going to happen. And you won't like every. Now you can love these people, right? And you can be brothers and sisters in the Lord. But you won't like everyone the same. And let me say this. We will disagree on some points in a church. But what you have to realize this. Problems create purpose. And oftentimes we look at problems as problems, right? But you have a job or you are employed somewhere because you are solving a problem for someone, right? Your purpose is directly tied to the problem that you're, you're solving. That's why when you go to an organization, you've got to ask, how can I add value? What problems can I solve for you? What can I do to add value to this organization? And many of us in here look at problems as just a headache. But realize it's the vacuum cleaner, man. You have a vacuum cleaner because there was a problem of dirt and dust getting in the carpet, right? There was a problem and somebody created a solution for it. And if you want to find your purpose, let me just say this real quick. I know Rick Warren wrote like 80 books on purpose. Purpose-driven church, purpose-driven car, purpose-driven dog, purpose-driven house, purpose-driven everything. But can I just be real with you about purpose? Do you, if you really want to solve your, find your purpose, I'm going to give you insight here. You need to ask, what can I do? How can I serve? Every great leader that I've ever found and I've interviewed all started with a small question. What can I do to serve? My spiritual father and mentor who's in Colorado and he's the assistant bishop out there for that conference. He started in Tallahassee, Florida. Actually, no, excuse me, in Denver, Colorado. Then he moved there to Tallahassee. But he started in Denver by asking, what can I do? They said, will you help out in the parking lot ministry? He says, sure, I'll help out in the parking lot ministry. 
and he'll, he'll never forget they had an event that weekend. He was scheduled to work in the parking lot. And he was at, at home drinking beer with his buddies because he just got saved. I mean, he was fresh off the, the truck, you know. And he said, guys, I can't drink any more beer because I've, I've got an assignment to go and to park cars at this church. And he will tell you that was the turning point in his life because he solved a small problem. And the Bible says if you're faithful with those things, then God can increase that. But it all starts with what can I do? People are all saying, man, I just want to find my purpose. I want to find my purpose. Find out how to serve. You serve your way to your purpose. Amen? And what you find out here in the book of Acts is that these guys solved a problem and created purpose for individuals. And like I said before, don't forget this. Life is merely 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. We live in a society, and listen to me here, that we think that it's what happens to us that shapes us. And you watch Dr. Phil every day, and no, no, don't, don't do that, but if you watch Dr. Phil or, or you watch these TV shows, hopefully you're not watching too many of those. But if you watch those, my dad did when I was home helping my mom out, and he, like, we'd be drinking coffee and he'd be watching Dr. Phil, and I was like, so those people are so interesting. But what you always saw was they were victims in their life. They were victims to a circumstance, and they did not respond correctly. And here's the other thing they didn't do. They didn't take responsibility for their actions. And I'll get to this in a second. Let me, let me go ahead and read our text. Let's go through our text. I've got something I want to share with you. It's going to be fun. Um, it's going to be hard at some points. Let's go ahead and read the text. You can't go wrong doing that, right? Amen. Acts 6, 1 through 7. Let's just read this whole text here. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic or the Hebrew Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. That's the problem there. Complaining against each other. You know that doesn't happen in church, does it? So the twelve gathered all the disciples together. And they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait tables. That's called boundaries in your life. You've got to learn to set boundaries. Some of you need a, a, a not-to-do list. Do you know that? Not a to-do list. You need stuff you need to stop doing for people. Because it's draining you and taking your time in your life. Leaders know how to create boundaries. They said in verse 3, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Verse 5 is the greatest miracle in the book of Acts. This proposal pleased the whole group. That was a huge miracle. I, I pray for that favor on my life that I can come up with a solution that the whole group gets blessed. That is awesome. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Parcurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Look at verse 7 one more time. Don't you check out. Read the Bible slow and pay close attention. Verse 7. Somebody say so. Say, say so. I'm not, I'm not asking you to give. It's the word so. It's like therefore. It means this. Put therefore there. Therefore the word of God spread because they handled the problem correctly. They responded correctly. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And here's the kicker. Here's the icing on the cake. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. 
These were Jewish priests who crucified Jesus, who opposed the gospel, and because they handled it correctly, they became obedient to the faith, which means they gave their life to Jesus Christ. You have a problem here in the early church with Greek-speaking widows and Hebrew-speaking or Hebrew widows. Most scholars, as you study this, will see that there's a couple of problems that are presented here. Number one, you have that, you notice they're Greek-speaking and Hebrew-speaking? See, the Hebrew, fully-blooded, full-blooded Hebrew Jews actually had racism in their hearts. When you read the Gospel of John, chapter 4, the disciples were racist and prejudiced in their heart. They had those things that, that God had not dealt with. He said, how could you say that, Kevin? I can't believe you would say that. Jesus said, you go into the city to buy food and I'll go through Samaria. Because they hated the Samaritans. Why did the disciples and the Jews hate the Samaritans? They were half Jew, half Samaritan. They were, they, they were mixed. Can I just be real with you? And so there was prejudice toward that group. And the disciples could not grasp in their heart being able to minister to those people. And then here what we see is you see Greek-speaking Jews and then fully Hebrew Jews here. And there was a dispute among them. Now what most scholars believe is this. That when somebody got saved in that day and time, there were mostly Jews up, up until, and you'll see this until Acts 9, there were primarily Jews that got saved. The ones who were half Jew and half Greek or half Jew and they were Samaritan or whatever, they actually, when they stepped into Christendom, they stopped receiving the benefits of being a Jew. Listen here. When you were in the Jewish system, read Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there were certain rights and privileges you had as a Jewish person. And one was care of the widows. And when they gave their life to Christ, the Jews still took care of that group, but they refused to take care of the other group. And so you see that even in the early church, there was prejudice and racism that was in the hearts of people here. And the disciples had to deal with that. You see what I'm saying? There were also structural issues. The people thought that the apostles should do the work of it. And the, apostle, the apostles had to set structure and order in the church. And what I like here is that they dealt with the system that the Grecian Jewish widows were being overlooked. And they dealt with the problem. Listen to me here. As I prayed, I don't have a mystery of the seven golden candlesticks in Revelation today. I can't tell you who that dragon is and where he's going to come from and what he's going to tell you um, on TV. I can't tell you. I'm not, I'm not here to, to give you deep revelation today about the book of Revelation and those things. But what I do have for you, I'm going to tell you something. If you grab onto this, you will be better in your life. Amen? Because I'm going to tell you something, in life, what I see people's problem is, is not that they don't have enough deep Bible teaching, it's they can't get along with people. And the number one reason people lose jobs and lose marriages and lose relationships is not because they didn't find out who the dragon was in Revelation. It's because they didn't know how to get along with people and how to deal with people. Can I be real with you? With pastoring, I've met some guys who can preach the paint off the walls. As you notice, I'm a teacher. I'm not going to jump the chairs. I, my legs hurt from running the other day that I, I may get in trouble with that and fall over and hurt you. There's some guys who can preach the paint off the walls. But you sit them down and the deal with conflict and they will cut everybody's ear off in the room like Peter. I've seen it, man. 
And the number one thing that I've seen in ministry and in leadership is conflict management and conflict resolution is not good in most leaders. And they ruin their ministry because they can't deal with conflict. Now, I'm not telling you that I can deal with everything perfectly. I'm not. I have faults and issues and I'm not perfect. But if you learn to do this here, everything else will fall in place. And when we, we took, when I, when I set Jim over, the church in Florida, Pastor Jim and the church in Florida we started and we still oversee, people said, well, he's not as like, dynamic as you are and he's not as gung-ho. He's, he's more of a laid-back dude. Okay? They said, well, can he do the job? I said, I'm going to tell you this. He teaches fifth grade. He's the only male teacher in his whole class. He knows how to deal with conflict. I said, at the end of the day, I said, he can learn to preach better. He can learn to lead better. I says, but what you, when it all comes down to it, you'll be glad that he knows how to deal with conflict. And today, that's what I want to look at just for a few minutes. And what I want to do is this. I want to look at some ways. The, can you guys imagine with me this morning? Can you just like open your mind up real quick and just imagine what if? Do you guys like doing that? You ever play that game? Well, let's imagine what if the apostles would have handled this differently. And I'm going to show you, you, and me, me, and all this here. And here's what you don't do. Here's some ground rules. When I go through these principles, do not look at your spouse. Do not say amen too loud. And the other one is, don't think about other people. Think about how this can help you. The first way is this. What if the apostles, if you have your notes handy, you can write your, in, your, in the notes we give you here. What if they handled it like a Sherman tank? Write Sherman tank in your notes there. It runs over and shoots its enemies. The first way you deal with conflict is the Sherman tank. That means when somebody comes to you with a problem, you run over them. You get angry and explosive and you blow your lid. Now I know none of you do that in here because you guys are like perfect. If I shut the lights out, you would glow. But those people that live across the street from you and your other family members, this is for them, right? But Sherman tanks get really mad and angry at people. They, they blow up. And what if the apostles would have done that? Imagine that, that ministry style. Uh, Mr. Apostle, you know, we really need food for the Grecian widows. What if they would have said, who do you think you are? You're bothering me with this? I'll tell you what, I'm not giving you any food for a month. I've got things like the word to worry about. And you're bothering me with this here? What if they would have handled that way? But don't we handle things like that? We get angry and explosive and defensive when people bring things to our attention. Here's what Sherman tanks like to do. They like to argue and debate. Y'all don't know me, I'll walk away from an argument. I will walk away from an argument. I ain't going to argue with anybody. I'll talk with them. We'll deal with issues. But they argue and they debate. They also stand their ground and refuse to compromise. Anybody know anybody like that? Is anybody like that? No, no, don't raise your hand. I'm just joking. Don't expose yourself in the church. They also use rank or influence in their life. Now realize this, if you're a Sherman tank, you're like, man, that's me. I am so a Sherman tank. I run over people. I, um... I just blow up when people bring things to me. You've got to realize that you can't tell me that you got mad and punched a hole in the wall because somebody made you mad. Here's the truth today, guys. Nobody controls your emotions but you. You control the way that you respond to people. Amen? Somebody can go up there and kick you in your shin, but you have the right 
to respond any way that you want to. And Sherman tanks usually blow up at the situation. Let me tell you what the Bible says about Sherman tanks real quick. You can write this in your notes, the scripture here. Ephesians 4.26 and 4.27 says this. Be angry and do not sin. That means you can be angry, right? It's not wrong to be angry. But there's a point that it turns into sin. Then he says this, don't let the sun go down to your anger. And this is key. Neither give place to the devil. See, you can be angry. Jesus turned over tables in the temple. And made a whip of cords. And he went Arnold Schwarzenegger on them. He drove people out out of the temple with cords. Jesus used physical violence. I'm not telling you to do that. He was the son of God. He didn't have any emotional problems or anger problems. But he was angry with righteous indignation about a situation. You can look at injustice and you can say, I am so angry about this injustice and it really hurts me that this is happening. But friends, let me tell you something. When you let it fester in you and you act in anger and you blow up and you lose your cool, that's when you cross the line. And the Bible says don't give place to the devil. That word place in the Greek is tapos. But you get the word topography, right? And it literally means to give Satan a permanent residence where he has entrance into your life. Now see, we'll tell people when they get saved to stop drinking, smoking, and cursing. And we'll, we'll, we'll really call that sanctification, don't we? I got sanctified or delivered. Let me just insert this real quick. Somebody will tell me they got delivered. You don't know if you're delivered or not until you actually have to go face something. You don't get delivered at a service. You find out if you're delivered when you're out in the street, when you're offered alcohol again. Amen? You can experience God powerfully. But deliverance comes later. We, we will tell people, stop drinking, smoking, and cursing, and we'll put those standards on them. But what about anger? That gives place to the devil. And when you get angry, it gives place to the devil in your relationships as well. And I love what James 1.20 says. Write this down in your notes. And you probably need to memorize this. Man's wrath. Say wrath. That means explosive anger. Does not promote the righteousness of God. There's never a time that you're going to get explosive and holler and throw fits and punch a hole in the wall that God ever says, that's right man, you're going to fulfill my will doing that. There'll never be a time that that happens. And here's what constant anger is a reflection of. If you struggle with that, and I used to guys, I'm going to tell you what man, I had a serious problem before I got saved. And after I got saved for a while, until people kept me in check, You know, my dad had to fire me from a job because I actually punched the window out of a front-end loader. Spidered it because I was so angry. You know that I actually got into a fight in college being a ministry student eight years ago. And I had to go sit and ask for forgiveness and I had to go through anger situations and read books on it and go, I did. And my wife has helped me through that, seriously. And we have rules, because we both are kind of like Sherman Tanks. So we have ground rules of how to fight fair. You need that in marriage, how to fight fair. But if, any, if we raise our voice and we'll say, well, since you can't speak normally and you can't not raise your voice, and we'll talk later about this. See, if you're a Sherman Tank in here, one thing I've noticed, and I've counseled many Sherman Tanks, your anger is usually a reflection that you have standards for others that you yourself are not going to live by. You think so highly of yourself. If somebody doesn't do it exactly like you think it should be done, you get angry with them and you get upset with them and you set standards for them. You, you, you think really highly of yourself. Here's the other thing I've realized about Sherman Tanks, guys. Check, check in here. 
you also haven't learned what the grace of God is to you. Friends, God is gracious toward us and he is patient toward our stupidity. And if, if you're having problems with that, you need to say, God, help me understand how patient you are toward me. And Sherman Tanks, let me say one more little piece of advice for you. You ready? Either you're going to humble yourself or God's going to have to humble you. One of the two. And I've been in both of those where I've had to humble myself. And I've been in the place where God has humbled me greatly in my life. Now, let me help the rest of y'all out. Are you ready for this? It's okay if I teach today. Is that alright? If you live with a Sherman tank or work with a Sherman tank, which you may, or have one in your family, let them cool down. Never engage when their cannons are hot. Never engage a Sherman tank when they are upset with things. Let them cool down. Let them go to their room and blow steam or do whatever they need to do. And when they and here's the best way to reach a Sherman tank. Wait till the situation is long gone. Everything, the dust is settled. And then when you're just having coffee, say, hey, I want to talk to you about something. Because they haven't worked up anger or emotion to blow up at something. Let them cool down. I mean, imagine if the apostles would have handled it that way. And blown up and got mad and hollered at the people and told them how ungrateful they were for all the food they were getting. And they could have done that, right? But we would not have seen verse 7 happen if they would have done that, correct? Now, here's the polar opposite. Here's your next point. Write this down in your notes this morning. The second way that we can deal with conflict is ostrich. Being an ostrich, that's a big bird that sticks his head in the sand. If you don't know what an ostrich is, hopefully we all do. And here's what they usually say. If I put my head in the sand, everything will go away. Now some of you are like, no, I'm not a Sherman tank. I would never blow up. I'm peaceful and patient. I have no problems. I'm like, I'm so good with conflict. I just let everything roll off my back. You're actually probably an ostrich. You know what an ostrich does when conflict arises? They want to hide and put it off until it, hopefully it goes away. Now imagine with me, what if the apostles would have been like, guys, 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 calm down about the Grecian widows and all that stuff. Let's just, let's just take some time and not worry about it. You know what? I believe it may just work itself out. Let's don't deal with it. They, what if they would have stuck their head in the sand and just waited? Verse 7 never would have happened with it. And the same way in our life is that if we tend to be an ostrich, what we do is this. Here, here's the ostriches in here. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm an ostrich. You tend to leave things unresolved. I will handle it later. I will deal with that later, right? Do, do anybody uh, do that in here? But here's what you also do. You accommodate in order to achieve harmony. You'll just agree so people will shut up. Fine, I'll do it, whatever. Yes, that's cool, I just don't want to argue. That's leaving it unresolved and then you put off conflict. Let me tell you a secret. My boss told me this in 2005 when I worked at SurPro, a great Christian man. He said, quickly fixed is quickly forgotten. Quickly fixed is quickly forgotten. But if you let problems fester, it will turn into bitterness in people's life. And one of the biblical examples of this is Joseph's father, Jacob. Now we talk about Jacob, how he pressed through and got the blessing. And we love to talk about Jacob that way. But do you know Jacob was a very passive individual? It says Esau was gruff and rough. And he was like one of those guys that would have been on Discovery Channel wrestling alligators. But Jacob was the guy who was smooth skinned. Didn't have any beard, no hair. He was like the pretty boy. But he was passive. He was very passive. He was passive enough. And listen to me, the Bible is real. See, the Quran doesn't do stuff like this. That's why you know it, it was written by men. The Bible shows you the flaws of people. Jacob allowed his sons to rape his daughter. And you know what Jacob did about it? 
nothing. Nothing. What type of respect would you command as a father if you let that happen and did nothing? I could give you scenarios of what I would do to those, those boys. I can't say it in church today because we're being recorded. But I will talk to you after church and give you five or six scenarios and let you pray through and figure out what pastor would do. But he did nothing about that. Nothing. And he even got to the point where he found his baby boy Joseph who really didn't give any type of pushback. And he actually put Joseph into the situation of going and spying on his brothers instead of going to the situation himself. He wouldn't go into the situation to find out. He said, why don't you go? And what happened to Joseph? The rest is history, right? He gets thrown into a pit because he was passive. J Jacob was the proverbial ostrich here. He did not want to deal with the situation. Let, let, let me talk to you for a second if you're an ostrich. We had a saying in our church in Florida. Are you ready for a saying? This is a, a little proverb we can use. Matthew 18.15 says, if your brother, you can write this down, Matthew 18.15, if your brother sins against you, Go to your brother and show him his fault. Matthew 18.50 If your brother sins against you, go to your brother and show him his fault. Now what we have learned to do in church is we go to everybody else and talk to everybody else about the problem we have, but we refuse to go to the person who actually offended us. Amen? And if you do that, you're not operating by biblical ways of communication. Because the Bible says, go and show that. And you know, ostriches have a problem with going to people, don't you? If you're kind of like, like an ostrich, you're like, man, I don't know. And let's just put it off. I don't want to deal with it. Mm, I need to back off from that. And you hope it'll go away sooner or later, right? Matthew 18 it. That's what I tell people. I have people come to me and say, man, you know, so-and-so did this to me. And so-and-so did that to me. You know what I tell them? Matthew 18 it. What do you mean by that? That means go to them and deal with the situation. If you need backup after that, the Bible says then come back and get some backup and then go to the person. But you've got to deal with the situation and an ostrich usually does not want to deal with it. Let me say this, if you have to deal with an ostrich, you need to approach them kindly and slowly. Do not go Sherman tanks and usually, you know what I find in marriages? Sherman tanks and ostriches are usually married. <laughs> uh, really. Usually find a quiet, meek person than a real headstrong person, and they just run over, one runs over the other. But if you do it an ostrich, allow them time, and then go to them. Here's, here's what I usually do, and I'm just going to give you guys my, my cards. I'm showing you my cards today. Somebody will come to me and say, man, so-and-so really offended me. They ticked me off. It hurt my feelings. It did this to me. I'll say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Because if it's, if it's bad enough, here's what we'll do. You've got till Tuesday to talk to them. Go talk to them. Share, share your fault, Matthew 18 it, um, and then report to me back what happened. And if you need somebody to step in and talk with you, we can do that. Because we had a situation that I've dealt with before, and I, I won't go into the details, but the person come to me very angry and mad about it. And this wasn't this church here. It wasn't here. Angry, I mean, hot about a situation, and we allowed the person to put it off, and they put it off, and then a year later, something happened, and it blew their top about that person again. And I asked, I actually just called the pastor and said, did you guys ever deal with that? No, we didn't. I said, what were you thinking? I hoped it just would go away. And it didn't. You know what happens? It festers and gets worse. So with an ostrich, when you're dealing with an ostrich, give them time, but approach them kindly. Now here's the next one this morning. It's the porcupine. Does anybody know who they are yet? Does anybody find out who they are? Okay, I see some smiles there and some nods. Okay, I know who I am. I showed you my laundry. 
uh, this morning. A porcupine. Now here's what a porcupine says. If you mess with me, I will stick you. Go ahead and share your issue with me and I will make you sorry for what you're telling me. Have you ever dealt with somebody like that before? Imagine the apostles took this route. Alright boys and girls. You gonna mess with us? You gonna try to show us that we're not good leaders? You won't get any food for three months. We're going to stick you and you may not get any food ever again. I will get you for what you have done for us. And let me say this about the porcupine. It usually comes from wounds in your heart. That you've been wounded somewhere along the line and when somebody shares something with you, you retaliate to them. And you aren't able in a healthy manner to share with them. Here's what a porcupine does. It balls up and pokes other people. It brings up past issues. I know you've never made anybody like, that, anybody like that, have you? They bring up past issues to you? They bring up the past all the time. They have a hard time forgiving. And here's the stickler. They put the other person in a no-win situation. No matter what you do, you can't win. And they punish the person through different methods. That may be passive-aggressive. Are you okay? Fine. You okay? I don't want to talk about it right now. You guys have ever been in those situations before? If, you, if, you, if you've been married for like 10 minutes, you then you have um, with that. One thing my wife and I did on the outset of our, our marriage is we actually went through and made ground rules for all these. And there's no stonewalling. And that's what porcupines do. They'll stonewall you. They'll, they'll give you the silent treatment in your life. Now here's what the Bible says, guys. Let, let me just say this right here. Romans 12, 17 and 19. Romans 12, 17 through 19. And this is for porcupines. If you feel like you have any bit of porcupine in you, and I think we all have a little bit of porcupine, here's what the Bible says to you today. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. For you that say you don't care what people think about you, it's not biblical. How can you say that? I just read you the scripture. Do you know that if, if you desire to be a leader, it's you, you are how people perceive you. You really are. If you all perceive me as evil and wicked and the meanest man ever, I don't care what I would do for you. I would still be the evil and wickedest man ever. And even if I try to do good, you'd say I'd be doing something bad with it, right? It's all how you perceive. So be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Be careful. And if it is possible, somebody say possible because this whole message depends on possible as far as it depends on you say me friends let me just say this you can say the right things to people and do the right things to people and they'll still respond wrong to you that's not your problem your problem is to do what the bible says here live at peace with everyone do not take revenge my friends porcupines but leave room for god's wrath i like that amen just leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. See, hurt people hurt people. And if you've ever been wounded in your life, you'll begin to hurt people because of things they have done to you. Here's the, the fourth one here, and I'm closing here in just a second. The happy monkey. Anybody know a happy monkey? Hey, it's fine, man. It's cool. It's going to be all right. Hey, ain't no problem. Ain't nothing but a thing. Ain't that but a thing like a chicken wing on a string? Happy monkeys. I ain't worried about that. Imagine if the apostles would have done that here. The happy monkey. And that's your fourth point to write down. They would have come to me like, man, our Grecian widows really need food. They'd been like, 
Brothers, sisters, do not worry. Do not worry about what you will eat or drink. For this is all trivial stuff. For the Lord will provide for you. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Let's don't worry about those type of things. Let's just love on God. They still would have been hungry, right? So happy monkeys tend to just downplay the situation and say, Ah, man, that's good to have a good positive attitude. I like that much better than the porcupine or the Sherman tank. Don't get me wrong. But here's the deal. The positive mindset is sometimes a way to put off issues that you don't want to deal with. You need a plan to deal with the situation. You know what the Bible says about this? Look at Proverbs 15, 22. Jot this down and memorize this, please. Proverbs 15, 22. The Bible says that a wise man foresees evil and hides himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. See, we think sometimes in Christendom that if we are spiritual, we don't need to plan because the Lord will just guide us and lead us. But when you read the Bible, there's always a dichotomy of those two. You plan and you pray. To be led by God is to make a plan and then let Him lead your steps and guide your steps. The happy monkeys is like, hey, hey it's good, man. Ain't number thing. Here's what a happy monkey needs to do. Foresee the evil and deal with it before you get punished for it. Deal with it. Quickly fixed is quickly. Somebody got it. Quickly fixed is quickly forgotten. Amen. If you get anything today, get that. Happy monkeys. If you're a happy monkey in here, you're probably smiling. Here's what you need to do. Number one, don't downplay an issue. Don't downplay somebody's issue. Seek to understand what's happening and take it seriously. And don't try to give stupid, cliche Bible stuff. You ever have, have you met Bible cliche man? So you maybe have a preacher that's like Mr. Cliche. One thing I don't like, sometimes I'll even avoid cliches in my message. And I hate to do it. It's like, oh, I've got to use cliche here. But you know, you go to somebody and you're like, man, you know, I'm really struggling this week. And I don't know what I'm going to do. And I just feel so worn out. They're like, the Bible says, you know. And, and, and they begin just to, just to give you these cliche answers about things. And you're like, man, you don't understand anything I'm going through. You know, well, you know, I, I always know that if God will bring you to it, he'll bring you through it. Sometimes people don't need advice, happy monkeys. Sometimes they need you to sit and cry with them and realize there's a problem. But happy monkeys don't want to deal with that. And let, let me just say this right here. If you're deal with, dealing with a happy monkey, and sometimes happy monkeys and Sherman Tanks are, are married, and that's really awesome. If you're dealing with a happy monkey, ask them to give you a plan. Help me find a solution to the problem. Sometimes when people come to me and, and they need advice, I'll ask them, what do you expect from this conversation and how can I help you? Because I don't be like Mr. Bible Man and give Bible cliche verses and then people go away and have no help. But imagine if the apostles would have done that. Oh, it's good, man. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Christian widows, he'll provide for you. Now, will he, will he provide for them? The correct answer, church, is Yes. <laughs> But sometimes he has to provide through us making proper plans. And here's the final one this morning. Daisy, if you'll come, we're going to close with this. And I'm going to add some spiritual things in here now. And some people said, amen. Number five is the wise old owl. Woohoo! Wise old owl. That's what the apostles did here. 
through patience, prayer, and perspective and promise, they dealt with the situation with the wise old owl. Here's what the wise old owl does. And I want us all to be wise old owls. Amen? You can actually, I'll give you permission in this church to call somebody an old owl. The old owl. Now, just don't call your wife that. You'll get in a lot of trouble. But you can call other people in the church that. Uh, the wise old owl listens without becoming defensive. Listen. And when you're listening, don't try to come up with what you're going to say to people. Did you get that? Because some of y'all were thinking about what, what you would do or say. <laughs> don't come up with you're going to say. A wise old owl analyzes the input. What is going on here? What's happening? What's our problems? What do we, how do we need to solve it? And here's a big one. They seek to understand rather than trying to be understood. Did y'all hear that? Is that too many syllables? Because this is key. When you go into a problem with your spouse or you go into a problem with your job, seek to understand what's happening. Don't go in. You know what the Bible, you know people, I, I've met people says, well, I just speak my mind. They're like proud about it. It's like, you know what the Bible says? You're a fool. Well, the Bible says a fool vents all his mind. A fool is bent on telling you how they feel. But a wise person is bent on understanding what is the issue at hand. Here's what the apostles did, man. They were patient with the complaints. They were patient with the complaints. If you ever want to serve in ministry or leadership, you're going to have complaints. You better be patient with them. The second thing is this, and this is the key. They, they prayed. They prayed. Now, I wanted to say this last because if I start off with that, I'd be like the, the happy monkey. Just pray. Sometimes you need practical solutions how to deal with things. But you, you know in every conflict management situation, if you'll pause and you'll pray and see what God's telling you in a situation, you will avoid a lot of bumps in the road. When you're going through something and you're so worked up and you're so upset and you're saying, man, I why are they doing this? Begin to pause and praise. I'm going to tell you something, man. What the Lord is saying about the situation is more important than anything else going on around you. What is God speaking to you about that situation? And allow, listen, the Bible says this. It's your soul and your spirit. Anger resides in your soulish part of who you are. That's the soulish man. That's not, the soul has not been regenerated yet. Amen? But your spirit, and the Bible says the word of God separates the soul and the spirit. Your spirit is where God resides in you. And a lot of times what you need to do is not live off the soulish part and act. You need to hear what the Lord is saying. And what the word of God is saying about your situation. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to challenge you in, in, in your life. Because when you come to me with problems and situations, I'm going to ask you, what does the word of God say about it? And then what is the Lord speaking to you about that situation? And the apostles finally did this, guys perspective they gained perspective man let me tell you something this is this is important here when you meet a great leader who has a great organization somewhere they have a principle that they operate by they operate by perspective when crisis hits you what is the temptation to narrow in on that crisis when what you need to see is the big picture of the relationship the big picture of the situation I've seen people walk away from jobs because of anger and come in my office when I used to work for the for, for the state and say I've got to find work well tell me how you lost your job well man they made me mad I blew up and I... so you put your family in jeopardy because you have a bad attitude you've got to keep perspective man Keep the big picture of what is happening. And I like it here because the apostles did that. And guys, when they handled this situation correctly, guess what happened? Disciples increased. 
People got saved and priests were obedient to the faith. I'll tell you something. And young people in here, your life depends on how you're going to respond to situations that hit you. Uh, more mature folk in here, you need to give this to, to your children and grandchildren. And teach them how to respond correctly to a situation. Because with one bad response, you can ruin your whole life. All it takes is one bad response and a felony is on your record. And you'll, and you'll be relegated to work in fast food the rest of your life. That's all it takes. And I've seen it time and time again. And what I like here, guys, is in this text here, the apostles give us the right way to handle a situation, right? And I'm going to say something to you. We are going to have problems in our life. And I'm going to help some of you walk through problems in your life. We're going to have problems in our church because God's going to increase our numbers. He's going to increase what He's doing. And when He does, there's always problems. That's good. If a church doesn't have chaos and conflict, that means it's not growing. But you've got to handle it correctly. Now this morning, here's what the Lord laid on my heart as we close today. Here's what God laid on my heart. And I mentioned a little bit of it during our altar time. The reason some of you can't handle situations correctly, you know what to do, but you can't do it. You've never been healed in your heart before. Jesus walked up to a man that was sitting there that was, that was hurt. He come to that man. He told that man, he said, do you want to be made whole? He didn't ask him, did he want to be healed? He said, do you want to be made whole? Which meant there was something going on deeper than the sickness that he was experiencing. And you know a lot of times people that experience a lot of physical sickness actually have emotional things in their heart that have been going on that God has never healed. And I want us this morning, I just want us this morning, if you will, I'm going to do something. Don't you stand to your feet? And I want us just to begin. And Jordan, if you'll come with Daisy and you guys take time to... Just begin to lead the congregation in a song. I want you just to close your eyes in this place. I want you to bear with me a few more minutes, but I believe the Lord wants to do some serious work in the heart.